Bethany. Let's take our Bibles into Genesis chapter 9 this evening. <coughs> Genesis chapter 9. <coughs> and we're going to read from verse 24. <coughs> Excuse me, as we begin. Genesis chapter 9, verse 24. It says, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Let's open our time with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again the opportunity to be here in this place, to gather together around your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that this evening as we uh, consider the truths contained therein, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that Lord, we would uh, see you this evening, we'd see your greatness, we see your power, your wisdom. Uh, Lord, we pray that your name will be praised, be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray that you would just empower me now through the spirit, give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. And Lord, I pray that everything I say this evening would be your words, it will be your thoughts. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, last Sunday morning we saw the tragic uh, events there where Noah uh, fell into sin. And of course, he'd been faithful all those years leading up to uh, the flood. He'd gone through that time, you know, being ridiculed, uh, being opposed as he was preaching righteousness and as he's building the ark in obedience to the Lord. He'd been faithful through all those years. He'd gone through the flood. And then after the flood, he let his guard down. And as we saw, he found himself in a place of sin and shame, uh, naked and drunk inside his tents. And of course, his sin didn't go unnoticed because Ham, his son, came along, uh, came to visit his father that same day. And he found his father in that drunken state. And of course, we saw the reaction of Ham last week that uh, he, he reacted with complete disrespect for his father. He saw his father's state, and, and that word saw is talking about with pleasure, okay? He looked upon it with pleasure and with delight, and he rejoiced at that sight, and we saw that he rushed to tell his brethren, thinking that they likewise would enjoy uh, knowing that their father had fallen into such sin. And then we saw, of course, that Shem and Japheth had a completely different reaction. Theirs was one of respect. It was one of honor, one of love for their father as they went in backwards with the, the cloak between them and laid it upon their father, covering his shame. And now in verse 24, we find that Noah wakes from his drunken sleep and he learns of what has taken place. It says in verse 24, And Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Noah awoke, or awake, sorry, here to find that he's covered with a garment. And he's, he's aware that obviously he didn't put it there. Someone has placed the garment on him. And so he begins to wonder what's happened in the tent, what's happened while he's asleep. And it would seem that he's then inquired, you know, perhaps he's asked his sons what took place and they've filled him in. And so he now knows what his younger son has done unto him. He knows that his younger son has gone and taken pleasure in his sin, in his shame. 
And without doubt, Noah would have been ashamed of his actions. He would have been ashamed of his uh, moral lapse. But what pained him more was to learn of the sin that his son Ham had committed. Now, as it revealed, as we saw last week, it revealed his heart, didn't it? Okay, it revealed a, a sinful heart, a heart of rebellion and unbelief. And at the same time, the actions of Shem and Japheth testified of their respect for their father. It testified of their reverential fear of God. And it's because of this revelation of their characters that Noah now is led by the Spirit to declare this prophecy concerning his three sons and their descendants. And it's important that we understand here that this declaration of a curse on Canaan and then a blessing on Shem and Japheth was not born out of personal resentment. Okay? Noah doesn't say these things out of resentment for what Ham has done unto him. Okay? One commentator wrote this, he said, Not in personal resentment, since the fall of Noah is not at all connected with his prophecy, except as serving to bring out the real character of his children and to reconcile him to the different destinies which he was to announce as awaiting their respective races. And so it's not in resentment here that he speaks these words. Rather, he speaks this under the influence of the Spirit of God here. Yes, the character of his children was revealed okay, by that, that incident that took place. The character of his children was revealed and it gives insight into the direction that their descendants would go but these words are more than just simply Noah's insight. These are words from God. They're a prophecy spoken as the Spirit gives him utterance. And indeed, when understood, these brief words of prophecy are an incredible declaration of the omniscience of our God. The fact that God knew everything from the very beginning. Now, the commentator Darby writes this. He says, this is God's survey of the new world. In its three heads, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, <clears throat> in a brief declaration of what characterized their position in the earth. Its whole history is stated in a few words. How mighty in everything is the word. He knows all, sorry, he who knows all can state all briefly and surely. And that's the wonderful truth of these words here. These Three short verses are this wonderful declaration by God of the history of mankind. It's a survey of the history of the world. And in the New Testament, we're told that God has a specific time, place, and purpose for each nation throughout the ages. In Acts 17, verse 26, it says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And so God knew what the nations would do, and God has a place for the nations. And here in this remarkable prophecy of Noah, we see a basic outline of each of the three major streams of nations down through the history. Okay? Each son has a stream of nations that descend from them. Okay, and this gives us a ba basic outline of that history. Okay. Now, of course, there's three parts to this prophecy, because there's three sons. But we're only going to look at the first son this evening, because there's no way we get through it all. 
in one message. And so tonight we're going to look at the curse upon Canaan. The curse upon Canaan. Look there in verse 25. It says, And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Noah begins his prophetic declaration here by addressing his son Ham. And he does it uh, by addressing uh, Canaan, okay, Ham's son. Okay? It's through the person of his son that he makes this declaration. In verse 24, it seems that Ham is the youngest of Noah's son, uh, son sorry, and so he begins with the youngest and goes to the oldest. Okay? In verse 24, it says, and Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger, and that word can also be youngest, son, had done unto him. So it seems that Ham is the youngest, and so he starts with Ham, and then he goes through to Japheth, who is the eldest. And in connection with the seriousness of Ham's sin, the prophetic words to him and his descendants are in the form of a curse. As we read there in verse 25, it says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. Now, this is a difficult passage. Okay? Um, it's, it's a difficult passage. This prophecy is one of great controversy, one of great contention amongst the commentators. When you read the commentators, there's not a lot of agreement as to what this actually means. It's a difficult passage with a number of questions that need to be answered if we're going to have any idea as to what it means and who it's talking about. And so I've done my best tonight. I've been praying about it all week and studying and done my best to gain an understanding and, and present what I believe is it's talking about. And if you don't agree, that's fine um, as well. But let, let's address some of these questions this evening. The first question we need to ask is who does this prophecy apply to? And so if you want to put a first point there this evening in your notes, that's the first point. Who does this prophecy apply to? Obviously, that's the first question, isn't it? Okay, when we read this, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren? We must answer that question. Who exactly is it talking about? You see, verse 25 says, Cursed be Canaan. Now, that's not what we would be expecting, is it? Okay, it's not what we would be looking for. We would be expecting to read, Cursed be Ham. That's what we would expect. That would be the logical thing to read here. But instead, we read Canaan. Who is Canaan? Well, as we, we said earlier, Canaan is one of Ham's sons. Okay, in verse 18, it says, And the sons of Noah uh, that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay, and then in verse 22, it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan. Twice already in this passage, the writer has told us that Canaan is a descendant of Ham, that he is one of his sons. But he's not his only son. And that's what makes it strange here. He's not the only son. In fact, he's not even the eldest. Okay, if he was the eldest, it would sort of make sense because it would be, you know, that the blessing is upon the eldest son, the curse is upon the eldest son. But he's not even the eldest. He's actually the youngest of Ham's four sons. In chapter 10, verse 6, it says, And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, and Phut and Canaan. And so he's the youngest of four. And so the question then is, you know, why does Noah here declare, cursed be Canaan? 
Does that mean that this prophecy here is only talking about the descendants of Cain? Uh, Cain sorry, Canaan. It's only talking about his descendants. It's not talking about the other sons. It's only talking about this one son and those that come from him. And as I said, this is a major point of contention. There is a lot of disagreement here as to whether it is talking about just Canaan and those that come from him or whether it's talking about all of Ham's descendants. And so the position we take on this greatly affects the interpretation. Okay, Because if you take it just to be Canaan, well then you're only looking in one spot for the interpretation and for the fulfillment. If you take it to be all the sons of Ham, then you're looking everywhere for this interpretation and the fulfillment. And so who does it apply to? Well, from studying this week, there seems to be at least a couple of uh, difficulties with applying the curse only to the descendants of Canaan. The first of those difficulties is that it does not fit with the overall sense of the passage. It doesn't fit with the, the prophecy here as a, as a whole. You see, this prophecy as a whole is intended to be symmetrical. It's intended to be worldwide, okay, applying to all of Noah's descendants. Noah addresses all of Shem's descendants in verse 26. Okay, it says, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And in verse 27, he addresses all of Japheth's descendants. Okay, it says, and God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And so in the overall context of the prophecy, it's talking about all of Noah's descendants, all of Shem's, all of Japheth's, so why not all of Ham's? It doesn't make sense for it to be narrowed down and be a curse only directed at this one son. Now, what about Ham's other sons? There's no curse, there's no blessing spoken about them, there's no mention of them at all, so what about them? You see, it doesn't fit with the sense of the passage. The second problem with applying it only to Canaan's descendants is that it's not Canaan who sinned. Ham is the one who sinned. Okay, now some commentators and Jewish writers have tried to therefore say that Canaan was actually there and involved in it all, but that's not what God's word says, is it? Okay, Ham is the one who sinned, not Canaan, and so it's inappropriate for Noah to single out Canaan as being the one who bears the burden of the curse. Why should he alone bear the burden of this curse because of his father's sin? It doesn't make sense for it to be applied only to Canaan, well, at least in my mind, as I was reading this week. It doesn't make sense. And so it seems best and necessary, therefore, to understand this prophecy here, this curse, as applying to all of Ham's descendants, whether it's through Canaan or one of the other sons, it's all of Ham's descendants. And so you might ask the question, well, why then mention Canaan? You know, why does Noah say, cursed be Canaan? Well, it would seem that Canaan is mentioned in order to stress that the terms of the prophecy, the terms of this curse, extended to all of Ham's sons, even to his youngest, you know, and perhaps his most dear son, you know, the one that's most precious to him. Noah says, even your youngest is going to experience this curse. Even the descendants of your youngest son, the most precious son, come under this curse. But I think we also need to remember who wrote the book of Genesis and when he wrote it. Moses 
wrote the book of Genesis, and he wrote it for who? The Israelites, as they're entering into where? The land of Canaan. And they're going in with the express uh, mission to conquer the land of Canaan and to deal with the Canaanites, this wicked, sinful nation. And so as Moses is writing this, of course, under the influence of the Spirit, Moses is highlighting the fact right throughout that Ham is the father of Canaan. He's highlighting that. And he's highlighting that the Canaanites are under the curse, that the curse applies to them. And so we need to remember that as well. But as I said, it seems clear to me that this curse here is upon all of Ham's descendants. And so that's the first question. The second question then is, what does it mean? What does this curse mean? You know, when it says here, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean that he is now going to be a servant of servants? You see, it's important that we understand what this means and arrive at a biblical conclusion here, one that fits with what we know about our God concerning this curse. You see, although the word servant is used frequently throughout the Old Testament, this is actually the only place that you find this phrase, servant of servants. You don't see it anywhere else. Okay, this is the only place. And so we need to determine what does this actually mean, this idea, servant of servants. In the next two verses, Noah will prophesy that Canaan would be a servant both to Shem and also to Japheth. Okay, it says at the end of verse 26, and Canaan shall be his servant. At the end of verse 27, and Canaan shall be his servants. And so in other words, the descendants of Ham would, would serve not just one other nation or one other son and their descendants, but both. Okay? Basically, they would serve all other nations. And so this was to be a unique and worldwide service, and that seems to be what's meant here by this phrase, servant of servants. But in what way would they be servants and serve all other nations? Well, I think one thing that we can immediately rule out is that it's not talking about slavery. Okay? It's not talking about slavery. It's not saying that the descendants of Ham are a second-class citizen and that they would be destined to be slaves. It cannot be saying that. That they would always be downtrodden and always be enslaved and the reason it cannot be saying that is because, well, number one, it doesn't fit with what we know about our God. But number two, it doesn't fit with history. Never has a situation occurred amongst the descendants of Ham, his four sons, including Canaan, where they've all been constantly enslaved and downtrodden. In fact, <clears throat> the descendants of Ham include great nations of the past. They include the Egyptians. They include the Sumerians, who were another uh, empire about the same time as the Egyptians. They include the Ethiopians. These great empires, these great nations of the past, are descendants of Ham. And there's a good possibility that they also include some of the great Asiatic nations of today, of the present. And so it can hardly be saying that they will all be slaves, because they're not all slaves, are they? They're not all downtrodden and afflicted. And it's therefore extremely concerning that some down through the ages have taken this passage 
and they've twisted it to be a curse upon the Negro people. They've twisted this passage to justify slavery. Isn't that disgusting? It really upset me to learn about that this week. Christians, so-called Christians, twisting and using this verse to justify slavery, to justify treating Negro people in this way. Now, Morris writes, he says, it is obvious, however, that the prophecy applies not only to black Africans, but also to all other descendants of Ham, most of whom are not blacks. And no more of the Hamatic peoples have experienced such servitude during their history than the non-Hamitic peoples. The point is, the descendants of Ham have not been more enslaved than the descendants of Shem and the descendants of Japheth. They've all experienced it down through history. Israel is a classic example. Israel is the descendants of who? Shem. And Israel spent 400 years in, in Egypt as slaves. Israel experienced slavery, didn't they? Okay, and... and the point is, it's not just the descendants of Ham that have experienced that. And so it's not talking about that, and we should not even think about narrowing it down like that and twisting Scripture in such a way. All people are equal in the sight of God. All are one blood, one nation in the sight of God. And so it's clear it's not a declaration that Ham's descendants are inferior. It's not a declaration that they would be made the lowest slaves. And so what then is it talking about? What kind of service are we t- talking about here when it says they will be servant of servants? Well, it's important to understand that the word servant does not necessarily mean slave. In fact, when you look through the Word of God, it is more often used to refer to someone who is a steward within a household. And a steward is an honorable position. Yeah, in contrast to a slave, a steward is someone who is in an honorable position within a household. And so if we understand the word here to mean steward, then the prophecy here becomes one of material service unto mankind, that they would be stewards unto the rest of mankind. Now we've looked before at it in Genesis, but God gave mankind in general stewardship over the world, okay, over the earth, that creation, over the physical world, its processes and living creatures. Genesis chapter 1. Let's quickly read it. Genesis 1. Verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree, in which the fruit of the tree of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and so on it goes. But we have here God giving to mankind this stewardship over the earth. Okay, man was made in general a steward. And Morris uh, writes that this role as steward can be divided into three responsibilities. There is a spiritual part. Okay, receiving preserving, teaching the knowledge of the Word of God. That's part of this stewardship. There is an intellectual part, expanding and teaching the knowledge of the world of God, this world, this earth that God created. 
And then there is a physical part, providing the material needs for man's bodily, uh, sorry, the material means for man's bodily needs and comforts, thus enabling him to fulfill his intellectual and spiritual functions more effectively. And so there is these three roles, three parts to our stewardship. There's a spiritual part, an intellectual part, and there is a physical part. You know, each person to some degree has the capacity to fulfill all three of these, don't we? Yeah, we all have the capacity to uh, fulfill it spiritually, mentally, intellectually, intellectually, and also physically. We have that capacity. But usually, there's one that dominates, isn't there? There's one thing that stands out about the character of a person. In other words, some people are dominated by physical considerations. They like working with their hands. They like inventing things. They like tilling the ground. They like being physical. Okay? That's their nature. Some, by nature, are intellectual. They love reading. They love gaining more knowledge, more understanding of the sciences, of philosophy, whatever it might be. And then, of course, some are more spiritually minded. And the same generalization applies to nations down through history. Some nations have historically been primarily motivated by religious considerations. Some nations have been motivated by the intellectual, philosophical, sciences. And some nations have been more materialistic, hands-on, more practical in their pursuits. And this seems to be the focus of this prophecy here that the descendants of each son would primarily pursue one area of responsibility. Each, therefore, was still regarded as God's servants. Okay, they're all God's steward, but they're fulfilling a different role of that stewardship, a different area of responsibility. One commentator said this, each was regarded as God's servants, Shem in spiritual service, Japheth, in intellectual service, Ham, responsible for physical service, was thus a servant of servants, serving both Shem and Japheth, who were also servants. He would provide the physical means, food, clothing, shelter, weapons, machinery, transportation, technological inventions, and equipment of all kinds, which would enable his brothers to carry out their spiritual and mental responsibilities toward mankind and toward God. In this way, Ham also would be serving God. You see, basically, it seems to be the idea that Ham, his descendants, would primarily seek after this, uh, this responsibility. They would seek after the materialistic. They would pursue practical things, the technological advances. And in doing so, they would serve their brethren. They would serve all mankind. So they're a steward of God, but they're a steward of stewards. Because they would, they would serve, they would benefit all other nations. And so that brings us to the final question this evening. How then has this prophecy been fulfilled? How has it been fulfilled? If it's talking about all of Ham's descendants, and it's talking about this idea of stewardship, and fulfilling this role of physical, material, te te technology, advancing in those things, how then has it been fulfilled? Well, as we look through history, the descendants of Ham have indeed been largely unconcerned with either science, philosophy, 
or theology. They, they're not really concerned with those things. Now, again, it's a generalization. Of course, there's people within those nations who did. But as a whole, when you look at the nations, as a whole, they were unconcerned with those things, those pursuits. Instead, the descendants of Ham have largely been occupied with material pursuits. They have often been great inventors. They've been experts in technology, as well as being hard workers of the land, gaining a knowledge and understanding of the land. They've also been hard fighters in battle. As we mentioned earlier, the descendants of Ham include the Egyptians and the Sumerians, who founded two of the great empires of antiquity. But also descending from Ham were other great nations, such as the Phoenicians, the Hittites, who we read about in the Word of God. Of course, the Canaanites came from Ham as well. And then we have the modern African tribes. We have the Mongol tribes, including the Chinese, the Japanese, as well as probably the American Indians and South Sea Islanders. They all descended from Ham. And these descendants, as you look at their history, have contributed many things to mankind throughout history, fulfilling this role of service, of stewardship. According to the commentators, the descendants of Ham were the original explorers settling, uh, and settlers sorry, of practically all parts of the world. They were the first cultivators of the basic food staples, potatoes, corn, beans, etc. They developed many of the basic types of structural forms and building tools. They invented most of the basic uh, concepts of practical mathematics, as well as surveying and navigation. We could continue on and talk about fabrics, talk about sewing devices, we could talk about paper, we could talk about ink. All of these things, the list is endless. They all trace back to, in some way, the descendants of Ham. One writer, Arthur Custance, went as far as to say this. He said, if one traces back far enough, he will find that practically every other basic device or system needed for man's physical sustenance or convenience originated with one of the Hamatic peoples. That's an incredible thing. To look back through history and to see all these things originated with Ham's descendants. And I know you're sitting there thinking, but hang on, it's a curse. It is a curse. And we've got to remember that. There is a curse to it. There is a negative side to all this. Okay? They fulfilled this idea of being servants, of being stewards to all mankind in a most amazing, wonderful way, exactly as God said. But it's also a curse. There is a negative side to this prophecy. And Morris writes this. He says, The Hamites have usually been able to go only so far with their explorations and inventions and then no further. The descendants of Japheth and Shem have sooner or later taken over their territories and their inventions and then developed and utilized them to their own advantage in accomplishing their own service to mankind. The Hamites have often eventually been displaced by the intellectual and philosophical acumen of the descendants of Japheth and the religious zeal of the descendants of Shem. You see, the point is that yes, they've come up with all these technological advances, but often the descendants of Ham have then been displaced. They've been overtaken, even destroyed by the descendants of Shem 
and Japheth. The Canaanites is a perfect example of this. The Canaanites were wiped out by the Jews when they entered into the land. Why? Because of their sin, their wickedness. God told the Jews to take the land and destroy them. But so many of these nations have been overrun by their brethren, the descendants of Shem and Japheth. But often also their, techno- their knowledge of the land and their technological advances, the practical things they have learned, have them been taken by Shem and Japheth, their descendants, and have been built upon and advanced further, leaving Ham's descendants behind. As we look around the world, that's what happens. They've gone so far, so far with their civilization, and then Shem and Japheth have come along and built upon those advances, taking their civilization so much further than they ever had themselves. You see, in this way, the curse has been fulfilled. There is a curse. They, they act as stewards for, all, stewards for all of mankind, coming up with all these wonderful things. But then they've almost stalled and gone no further. And Shem and Japheth have gone on to further greatness, if you like, as civilizations. You see, in these few words, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. We have an amazing prophetic declaration of the way the descendants of Ham would serve the rest of mankind. And from the very beginning, God already knew the course that history would take. And when we look at Shem and Japheth, we'll see that continued on in those descendants as well. You know, the wonderful uh, truth that overrides all of this is that our God is omniscient. God knew at the very beginning all of history. And he outlined it very simply, very clearly here in these three verses. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. Uh, Lord, we pray that this evening um, we would gain something from your word. Lord, a difficult passage, a difficult uh, prophecy to understand with much contention, Lord. But I pray that this evening... Uh, I've done justice to the passage and that, Lord, we've gained some understanding of the great truths contained therein. That, Lord, we've seen your glory, your might, your power, uh, your omniscience, Lord, in your knowledge of all these things. Lord, may you bless this night as we close. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.